What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Full Stack Whatever. I am your host, Michael Omans, and here is part two of my conversation with Om Malik. In the second part of our conversation, we talked about some of the challenges we all encounter in a creative process and what he looks for when he's making photographs. I was especially inspired by Ohm's approach to thinking about creative inputs versus creative output. And of course, there are some hot takes about cameras and camera systems. Here is episode 39, The Joy of the Creative Input. A double feature. This is exciting. Yeah. I really enjoyed this last, the last hour that we talked. Very rarely do we like really go deep into a topic for an hour. And this is very intellectually stimulating. But we started kind of taking two tracks at the outset. And I think that there's kind of two, two things. One is... You're a very prolific photographer. You love photography, but also have like your very unique way of looking at the world and like how you bring that and then you share that with us. I think that's a really interesting thing to talk about and kind of get into. We can also get into gear because I know that we both have a lot of opinions about gear, which is <laughs> going to be a lot of fun. But then I do think that there is this interesting question around any image that you see online right now. Effectively, you have to challenge if it is a real image. Now, there's kind of sub questions in that, right? Is it one question one is, does it matter? And question two then is, where do you draw the line, for example? Mm. Let's just start with those. Where do you want to start? I think that the reality of something is very important to you. I think you rarely do a lot of post-processing on your images. I do. You do? Uh, yeah. But like very differently than other people. But you do tonality and that kind of stuff, right? You don't, do yeah. you remove a tree? I have removed a tree. I have removed dust parts. And, yeah, dust parts. And yeah, like exactly. rocks and stuff like that. Yeah. But just for everyone's context, Ohm is one of those folks that will go out and bring a phase one and just stand there for a while to make that perfect photo. Yeah. No, not really the perfect photo. The photo that speaks to me. It may not be perfect. I like that. Most of my photos are imperfect, but they're perfect for me. I like that. At the end of the last episode, we were talking about the script and how it effectively has, you know, it gives me a, a, a mobile podcast studio in a bag, basically. Yeah. And there's like smaller things, right? In a way, a lot of this AI generative Photoshop stuff now, especially since it's gotten into Photoshop, has put a whole retouch studio in everyone's pocket, effectively. I think that's a great idea, in my opinion. So let's go back to the first conversation. You know, I was telling you about, I'm very excited about AI in many ways, because I see not as artificial intelligence, I see it as augmented intelligence. I wrote a blog post recently on how I use various tools for my workflow on creating words, mm -hmm. thinking, writing, stuff like that. But the most important part of that whole process is the actual act of creation, right? I still use a fountain pen. I still have a notebook. I still make notes, draft out my post longhand, and then I start turning it into essentially a blog post, which I want to share on the web. But I use technology to help me with everything, except for the part where I'm actually creating the creative process. Because I use what we call AI or augmented intelligence as a tool to help me do my work better. I have the same approach to technology. And I'll give you a little story. So I started taking photographs for Sirius in 2015 when Gigom shut down. And I just wanted a different way of expressing myself, which was not 
words. I didn't want to be, I really didn't want to be a blogger. I viscerally reacted to that idea of the events in my life. You know, it's an emotional thing. And so I started taking photographs. I used to use the iPhone before. I had used the RX100, the first version, a little bit. RX100 but most or RX1? RX100. The zoom the one. The small one. But I never really used a camera per se. My first real camera was a Leica SL and a Sumicron 50 millimeter manual lens. It still is the same kit I have. My primary Great camera. Like my primary use case is still. And when I started doing that, I was taking photographs. I was going through my process. I was trying out different things. I borrowed a few lenses. I tried different things. Then in 2018, 2017 end, I met a few friends and they said, you know, you should try using film and see what happens and just stick to using one film for color and one film for black and white because mm -hmm. they'd seen what I was doing. And I said, that's a good idea. So I borrowed a, a Leica film camera mm -hmm. from a friend. And like an I, M or R series? Uh, it was like MA, one of the newer ones. Okay. Like it had no electronics per se. And the whole idea was that, so for a year, I went completely manual, completely analog. And I used Tri-X for black and white mm -hmm. and Portra 400 for color. Mm -hmm. And I went to Iceland with it and I went to Alaska with it and went to many places with it. I came back with a lot of photos. They were good, not so good. Many of them were just terrible mm -hmm. because I was, this was like a new way of, like I had no idea if the pictures were going to be good. And the feedback loop is right. longer. Like, and also I was trying to figure out how to see through like a range finder. Didn't know if it was in focus, what is the exposure. But both were like, you know, they were not slide films. So they had a lot of latitude. So after 12 months of taking photographs with film, I came to a conclusion that some of my favorite photos from the whole year were slightly overexposed. Mm -hmm. In a sense, I was using highlights as a way to create minimalism, mm -hmm. right? And that I liked how Portra 400 looked when it was overexposed two or three stops. Yeah. So the colors were like very desaturated. So mm -hmm. those are the two lessons I learned. I was like, plus also I realized that I was okay with out of focus pictures because frankly, I can't see a mile away and it'd be razor sharp. Mm -hmm. Maybe like this microphone or this glass or this, you know, this watch in front of me Mm -hmm. can be in focus, but rest of it is a little blurry because my eyes are not that great. Embracing those three things have informed how I think about photography. And so I worked with, with a visual artist, a colorist, somebody who understands how the tools work. Her name is Rebecca Lilly, and she helped create three presets for me, one for black and white, one for color, and one which is essentially for digital images which are overexposed, mm -hmm. like for black and white, because I tend to go into it. And then I started working on my process, my processing, how do I process my photos? And so if you think about it, I converge from 
color i want very less color i like black and white but i don't really like black and white i like grays more than the high contrast black and white so those two things converged because of the act of creating photographs with an analog medium and so i think now going forward like so i have just kind of just gone on and so even today let's say if i have to make a photograph and i go out in the field and i'm taking a photograph i don't mind overexposing a little bit because i want the portions i want in focus to be not overexposed everything else i don't really care that much because i know today's technology tools are good enough to bring back like you know some like some, some kind, because yeah. i don't really want the details because i'm already in my eyes not seeing the details they're seeing what they want to see in certain so i kind of edit i think it's in many ways like how you do blogging right like blogs are like 400 500 words they're not 10000 word long articles it's like you have the essence of it and the like rest of it is not as a in focus or it doesn't really matter you can link to the so my photograph work like if you look at whatever it is is it's like it's a continuum it's not like a one thing mm-hmm. and which is why i've always started gravitating towards things which are like less busy there is fewer elements in it i wouldn't call it minimalism because it's kind of an over overused word but again just like blogging is about a singular idea like you focus on a singular thing and then weave it into a larger narrative over a period of time that's how i see my photography as well so it's a long-winded way of saying that yes there is processing but most of it actually does happen inside the camera mm-hmm. and then i use photoshop and lightroom to embellish on that so my presets are essentially skewed towards you know removing the background details a little bit because they're like overexposed in a way but they're never really blown out they're just overexposed which is like a subtle difference mm-hmm. and like the idea is to kind of keep in things which are ma- important to me that's why i struggle with some of the newer cameras is i don't know how to shoot with them mm-hmm. what do you mean with that it's like the m11 is a perfect camera if you ask a like a loyalist they just think it's the greatest thing since m9 and it is except i find it super saturated and it's like whoa so much color yeah Yeah. Right. I actually have to work really, really hard with it to actually get the images I want. Whereas with the SL, I don't have to do that because I'm used to it. Seven years. Yeah. Now that you're, we spoke about this a little bit before we started recording, but now that you're talking me through it like this, there is one of the things that I saw happen in some firmware upgrades on the Q2 as well as I think on the M11, which was that Leica pushed into the direction of trying to save more highlights. and instead of blowing them out basically and so a lot of their exposure modes like their lighting modes are effectively like being more conservative with blowing out and they have a dedicated one which is like highlight recovery yeah. or whatever it is like a highlight rate yeah i try I to use, use that, that all the time use it all the time i had a very hard time using that but i think the thing with the highlight rated one is that you can actually push like there is so much dynamic range mm-hmm. in their new cameras the SL2S the M11 monochrome the Q3 just massive dynamic range i use that mostly because then i can just go like two three stops over and like not oh, yeah. about it mm-hmm. because i know that they're going to 
not gonna blow it out. And it's fine. I think that's the right way to do it. But what has happened is, at least from my perspective, I can't speak for other people. I, this is just, you know, photography is highly personal and individual experience. I find the web and the internet has created a very saturated photo environment. Because we have such high-definition screens, the idea of HDR, not HDR like in the old-fashioned way, but like Mm -hmm. high dynamic range in images has led to very saturated images. Everything is very saturated, right? Highly saturated colors get more likes on Instagram, so everybody wants to shoot Mm -hmm. more photographs, which are a little bit more saturated, and then and then it becomes a virtuous loop. And then, you know, Fuji does that. And now Leica is doing it. And like, I mean, it just is like the color science changes because that's how people are using technology, right? For me, that's just like a little unsettling. Like it just is. I still print every time I finish a photo, I edit it. I do a five by seven print. And then I just let it sit for a little while. Mm-hmm. And then it kind of says if this is working or not working. And for me, that is the key thing. You know, the, one of the great joys of learning through film was that I forgot being angry about light. Mm-hmm. Yes, I love getting morning light. Like yeah. I love the pinks and the purples and the blues. But if it's a bright, sunny day and it's like blue skies, and it's fine. Because you know what? If you overexpose the heck out of an image, it's the colors are not going to matter. Because colors don't really matter to me, right? Like, and the details don't really matter to me. What matters is the detail I want to show. And it can look good any time of the day. I think that's the bigger thing is, is like learning to embrace what I wanted. Learning first, learning what I was looking for. And then trying to figure out what my process is around it. That's been the journey so far. And now I feel I don't really care about the likes. So I don't really care what other people think. So I don't put out most of my work. Like I do a lot of work, which is highly private, which will never go out. Like I'll do photos of people, but they will never go out. I do still lives, which never go out. It just is like, those are for me, not for other people. Right. That's it. Are we going to have a Vivian Meyer moment? No, not really. This is just like, it's like a process, right? Like I choose to spend my time creating things, which I want to create, whether it's words or images. That's the, I have the luxury of being able to put my time to use the way I want to. That's the luxury of being older, and that's the luxury of being where I am in my career, right? It's not about how rich you are. It's about what you want to spend your time on. Yeah. So really kind of superficial, and then we're going to go back deep again, because I think that the highly private, the importance of the medium, the creativity is like a really interesting angle. But for a second, you've used a lot of cameras. Yeah. You have strong opinions about things. Yeah. What are what are your top cameras? What are your lower cameras? What are your opinions about the brands, about where things are going? Ooh. Of course, things are like more saturated now. So <laughs> that's a funny thing. My number one camera I use every day is the iPhone. Yes. And the reason I use the iPhone is it's a really convenient casual shooter. Mm-hmm. And now with tools like Topaz AI and you can actually remove any noise and, you know, you can get like extract more out of the raw files they shoot. I am loving the new iPhone 15s 
5x zoom oh my god i shared some photos on my website and then that those that lens is just sick so for me i'm super stoked about what images i can make with this iphone mm-hmm. the iphone 16 comes out and then it'll be something new yeah yeah and so that's one like the camera i'm super excited about the zoom on iphone 15 pro max the 5x zoom i love still love shooting my sl601 the sl first one i think if you want to like a experience that's the best way to get into like i just buy that and a nice pre-owned m lens and for four grand you're good to go way better than buying a brand new m camera the evf is still one of the best on the market battery's pretty good i mean i don't know i've taken close to 200,000 photos with it and it's still going strong i do like the sl2s which is the low light camera i use that at night whenever i go for like an event or when i'm shooting really early in the morning so those are my two two like work horse cameras i've used phase 1 i think freaking the best camera i've ever used but it's a process it's a mm-hmm. big process and sadly it's hard to use in the us right now because the crime is just so much right now and like you don't want to run the risk of carrying around something that expensive you know i really still like x pro 1 mm-hmm. fuji x pro 1 probably still one of my favorite cameras i wish i had a fuji lens otherwise you know i don't but and an x pro 1 i would i i have a borrowed i have one which i borrowed from a friend and i really like it and uh, i'm contemplating it's worth 500 bucks you know yeah it's, yeah you know i don't really care that much about i just feel like all these other guys are not really spending the time on making their software experience better mm-hmm. you know i think whether it's canon or or nikon or sony or olympus they just have things are a little complicated so if i was to buy something they're all in the same you know like level for me i did use the hasselblad new x2d medium format oh yeah yeah what a great camera just i just didn't feel that it replaced my you know because it's like oh i'll have to buy another system another set of lenses but i already have the best lens maker best lens and so why bother yeah. you know i will it, say that 55 mm that new yeah. design is just just it is a sublime camera yeah but same goes for the fuji medium format camera they're just brilliant but again the question for me now is always i'm older my back is not as great as it used to be mm-hmm. i don't want to carry very heavy machines Yeah. So I want to carry one body with two lenses or three lenses and if it fits into like a small carry-on bag without a tripod and like I don't use tripod anymore. Mm-hmm. I just want cameras which have like good inbuilt stabilization IBIS and so I can use like some filters like yep. to kind of cut out create like some creative effects but I want like cameras to be more utilitarian and light and but the lenses to be great one of the great lessons is like before buying the sensor buy the lens yeah yeah lens has a much 
bigger impact on things. So I have used Sigma cameras, great cameras, too saturated. Fuji, the newer ones are amazing. They're like everything they people say they are. Not for me. I just, I want an X-Pro one and I'll mm-hmm. probably get one. Yeah. But I don't want any of the new ones. Yeah. And I definitely don't want a Nikon or a Sony or yeah. a Canon. Yeah. However, I might go for a Hasselblad at, yeah. if I can... Yeah. If I can push myself, if they come out with the 90 millimeter lens, I might go for that one. Yeah. I used to be a Nikon loyalist because that's what I started on. And the number one reason was the ergonomics, to me still, of yeah. any kind of Dude. SLR, yeah. bar none. Give me SL and I can, like, and blindfolded, I can yeah. run it. Like, I just, can. like, I don't really need to, even though I have the SL2S, I still use the SL yeah. because it's like, the four pads, the yep. joystick, like my mind just, I know exactly what I'm doing, like yeah. just without even trying. I used to shoot a lot of live bands and it was, I always had my, the exact focus point set because I would just do point focusing. I would have it exactly set, reset without looking through the viewfinder. I would get the viewfinder, I would take a shot, I would put it, hold it back down. Yeah. I do like, you know, what do you call the multiple exposure of focus oh, point? No, multiple focus points. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I'll do F2 wide open. It's nice. like focus, not focus, doesn't really matter. Details yeah. don't matter. It just needs to look good to me. Yeah. That's the thing is once you break free from how other people see your images, it becomes a lot easier to create photos yeah. for yourself. Yeah. I'm sad that Nikon didn't figure out their shit earlier on with the mirrorless stuff because I think that they have yeah. now. And and the Z8 is like a really, really good camera. So Z9, I have a friend I just saw recently. We went and shot together. David Brookover, who's such an amazing landscape artist. He had a Nikon Z9 with an 85 1.2. Yeah. Yeah. Man, the images he was making with that were just like incredible, like sharp and brilliant. But they're like not the way I see things. Also, I mean, the Z9 is a fucking giant machine. It is. Yep. It is probably the... I would still say the still lighter than my SL. <laughs> yeah, that is true. That is true. I think, but I think that the Z9 right now, if I were to grab one camera to have as a workhorse mm. and professionally, and if I could, could afford it, easily would go with that. The thing with Canon, I, I always found Canon to Canon has a leg up in a lot of ways. Always, like they'll have like a couple of these like Grail or Hero lenses, you know, like the eighty-five one two to fifty one two. I'm not. The Japanese companies just don't do anything <laughs> for me. I love my Leica. Even I have a monochrome, the M9, and mostly because just love taking pictures of people with those. Yeah. And there's like nothing as close to the purity of the M9 monochrome. It's like as close. That was the first can, monochrome, right? Yeah. You get like Triax on digital. Ooh, it's so perfect. Yeah. And only 17 megapixels. So you mentioned creative uses of filters. How do you approach filters? What do you have? No, I'm currently doing a project right now, which is like essentially I'm using the Ricoh GR3 because camera. Yeah, it's a great camera. The only reason I'm using that is because the Leica guy stopped making an APS-C camera and I wanted something smaller, lighter, which is portable. Mm-hmm. You and I live in San Francisco. There is high risk of walking around with expensive gear in this city. Yep. 
And so the project I'm doing is essentially like I have a filter attached to it, a six stop filter. Mm -hmm. It's so that I can take a one second exposure handheld. Nice. And I do that of everything like street, beach, people, whatever. So, and the, the reason I'm doing that project is like in India, where I grew up, we have a bad habit of saying, I'll be there in a second. Yeah. And it's, and I just like was saying, huh? what is a second, right? Like, and I just thought, I just went down that path and That's I'm cool. taking photographs of like everything in a second. A lot of bad photos, yeah. but it's like kind of funny to try and hold your hand still for a second. Mm. And then you realize, holy shit, that's a long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not that easy. Yeah, that's cool. I like that. So, you know, I always kind of go and shoot landscapes and I thought this would be like a easy project. So it's like a six stop filter at F2.8. Like it just is kind of fun way to to look at the world. I want to go a little bit back to kind of the creative process and how you have, you know, found yourself being obviously a well-renowned journalist and you were really creating content in a professional way then now doing it in a very personal, expressive way. I'm fairly sure that if you were to ask someone, what is the biggest problem about being creative? A lot of people are like, I'm not inspired. You seem to have a very consistent creative process. What have your challenges been in the last like five? We, we talked about the last five years in a past episode. What have your challenges been in the last five years in your creative um, expression? Creative process is very personal. And every time I'm going through emotional and mental upheaval, it has a toll on creativity in both in, in a good way or in a bad way. So when Gigaum was shutting down, I didn't feel like writing. But encouraged by some friends, I started using the camera. So it just is like expression. I think I kind of live on the edge of being an introvert. And as a result of that, my creativity is driven by, you know, it's just easier to write and share than go out and communicate. I also don't like to communicate vocally as much, mostly because I'm a little conscious of my appearance and my accent a little bit, and especially in today's America, you know, the things which we discussed earlier. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like writing is my favorite way of expressing myself. And now I find photography has become that. And like the creative process is just a reflection of how I am. I am. There are days when I don't feel very creative. There have been months I have not felt very creative, you know, almost. But in that time, I consume. I'll read a lot of books, which is what has been actually how I learned to write and how I learned to learn. You know, by reading a lot of books. And I, I, so whenever I find myself in a rut, I just start reading. I'll call people. I go see them, just talk to them. And then something inside me gets triggered and, you know, it all comes rushing back. And that's it. Like you have to push yourself. Because if you spiral down, you just spiral down and become less creative. It's happened. I'm not going to say that it hasn't happened. But I think when you're older, you're just a bit more aware that it's happening. So you work harder to get out of it. I think for me, this happened, you know, Gigom shutting down, me turning 50, you know, the whole midlife thing, you know, I didn't get a 25-year-old girlfriend or a Porsche, but but all of that just kind of adds up. And that's when yeah. it takes it. But 
just when that happened, I found photography, right? So luck, fortune, mm -hmm. divine intervention, who the hell knows? Mm -hmm. There was a reason why all these things converged. Yeah. And so I think you just have to pay attention to like when you're spiraling out of your sweet spot of creativity. Mm -hmm. And I think that comes with age more than anything else. Yeah. Um, one of the, I'll, I'll want to make it personal for a second, mostly because of my biggest challenge with photography. And I want to hear your thoughts on this is that one of the biggest things that I found holding me back somewhere in the last five to eight years is that I used to have a bulletproof process of post-processing. Like the pictures would be done. The SD card goes in. I'll put that shit on Dropbox and then Lightroom Classic, run through the thing, had my whole thing down. And somewhere, you know, Lightroom Classic started performing a little slower. I was like kind of pissed off at that. That whole pipeline of the post image processing and publishing journey or like what to do with this creative artifact was and is to this day completely lopsided. And I was just saying before we started recording, I was saying to you, you know, I recently got an M11. I actually didn't buy it twice before because I was like, is this really going to be a camera that's going to make me shoot more? It's easy to get into the gear acquisition syndrome and, you know, do that. I found it to be really pleasant in the last mm, six weeks, month, six weeks, basically. But one of the things that really does it for me is the speed of connection between the camera and the phone so I can actually quickly offload one of one, two, three images that like really speak to me that I just took in the moment. And that has kind of brought to this new, very ad hoc workflow that allows me to capture the moments and then also have those moments, you know, drop them in the Lightroom mobile. I have a couple of presets that I made and then I can see if like my black and white preset that is kind of my triax version uh -huh. feels right on that. But in between that, I had, there was a chasm of just post-processing, not like really stopping a lot of things. I have 200 gigabytes of Safari photos that I haven't touched. Those photos are five years old now. I'm going to say something which you may not like. So when I didn't feel very creative about writing, I would find somebody to redesign my website and this is not good and I want to change the tools. I want to try a sub stack. You basically start focusing on everything except the real reason you create. That's like, so when you are focusing on, oh my, I've lost my post-processing workflow. It's not about the workflow. It's not about, you're focusing on the tools because you're not actually focusing on why you actually want to create a photo. Like, why do you want to pick up your camera and go out and do it? And I think we all make the same mistake. That is how we deal with when we find ourselves unable to create. We start focusing on tools. We start focusing on, should I get a new camera? I do that. Should I get a new notebook? Should I get a new pen? And like, New ink, oh, that would make me like really write better. No, it doesn't. It just is the same shit. You just are postponing the act of creation. And that's exactly what you were doing with your workflow conversation. I went to five exotic locations this year. Okay. I went to Alaska. I went to 
Japan. I went to Greenland. I went mm-hmm. to Iceland, and I went to Wyoming. Mm-hmm. And it's you know that's 2023 alone. And I barely seen or edited any of those photos. You know what has been the creative part of the whole process is that every single journey has resulted in five journals full of notes and memories and ideas and things I learned and the images I made and why I captured a photograph. The experience of the whole thing is much more valuable than the output. However, the society is completely programmed the creative process to the output, mm-hmm. not to the input part of it. For me, I was telling somebody, that was the shittiest photo trip I took to Greenland and Iceland. Well, the pictures are not that great. It was all blue skies. But I had a great time. Mm-hmm. I was yeah. like, wait, I had a great time because I unlocked a lot of things which were in my head. I saw some new things. I just went out of my creative comfort zone and just looked at the world differently. That doesn't necessarily mean I have the best photographs, but I have a better idea of what to do next time. I'm, I'm, I'm just a better person because I took that trip. That's pretty good to me. And I think that's what I mean is by focusing too much on the creative output, we, we take away the joy of the creative input. And I think decoupling my outputs from the social has definitely benefited me. I put out like maybe a dozen photos from a trip to Wyoming. They're all iPhone photos and a couple of photos with my M11. And that's about it. I'm not sure I'm going to go back and, you know, see them. And, you know, I got COVID when I was there. So, you know, not very highly productive mm-hmm. trip. But it was still a great trip. It was still great. Like, it was great to see the colors. It was great to see those beautiful skies. It was a great road trip, you know, to drive back home all the way. That was great. Like, I think the input was what helped create a better experience. And I think when you talk about my post-process, it's not that. It's just you made the photos. That's it. Like, why you made it, Mm -hmm. that's more important, you know. Whether you put it into the world doesn't matter. You created it for you, for it to exist for your pleasure. Mm-hmm. And, and the output is just for you. The input was entirely for you. Couldn't focus on the input. It works. I mean, like people tell me, there's no people in your photos. It's like, I don't know, guys, maybe I grew up in a country with a billion people. I don't want to see that many people. <laughs> It'd be nice to not see that many people. It's, yeah. it's good to be in an empty place. Yeah. It's good to be in a place which is not noisy. That's what the input is, right? That's why I go to these lonely places is because I want a momentary, you know, a moment of silence. That's why I'm there. That's my creative process. Input oriented, not output oriented. That's that's a really difficult thing I have learned. And a lot of it actually happened as a result of the pandemic. Because a lot of the time during the pandemic, as we spent more time alone, it allowed me to actually focus on creating things without they're not going anywhere. And so that made, like I spent most of my photography during pandemic was in my apartment, or, you know, making photographs of still life. I never did still lives before that. I didn't, 
like I'm making photos of cups and like playing around with light and how the the sun the sunlight looks in my apartment. That's why I said like I don't need to share it with anyone. It was just for me. And I think reprogramming yourself in that mode is much harder if you're always on social. That's my two cents. I think that's a really really nice two cents. I actually want to go back for a second to your your one second project. What was the moment where you were like, "I want to go do this one second project"? I just like randomly came to me. It's like I, I keep saying this. Why do I keep saying this? Do I even value one second? Mm-hmm. Right? We dismiss one second as as if it's nothing. And I think I thought, what if you could actually quantify what it one second is? It'll be a long process. It's not like today, right? Yeah. It'll be. a couple of years before i actually start to see something emerge out of it but i'm using the same camera i don't carry anything else and i'll just kind of i'm in chinatown i'll take a photograph i see a train coming i'll take a photograph that's it and there there seems to be a, f- a focus on like motion just like one second being still right mm-hmm. like the whole idea is not to use a tripod mm-hmm. use it in my hand and even if i'm focused on this cup I want my hand will do something in that second to remind me that a second is a very valuable thing. Mm-hmm. You're a very like slow photographer. I think you like slow photography. Mm-hmm. You have your one second creative process project going on right now. Before we started recording, we were talking about you're looking for a lightweight setup for longer lenses. What's kind of piquing your interest into I guess telephoto is that what you mean with that? Yeah. So I shoot primarily with two focal lengths, fifty or ninety, and occasionally I carry the ninety to two eighty lens from Leica. Giant, giant, giant lens. It's almost six pounds, and it's massive, and it just adds to the weight of the mm-hmm. whole system. And the reason I like that is sometimes. it allows me to capture the edges of a mountain or the movement of the fog and just again not minimalist but more like i can reduce the content in the image to what i want especially in places like alaska where you can't really hike up to every place and you can't get close to a lot of images mm-hmm. that's a huge challenge right i i took this to greenland and iceland and like I, i didn't really need to use that i i was like 90 was good enough but 280 made some things more interesting so i just want a telephoto just for that as a backup if i see something far away which i want to capture not wildlife in case you were wondering or like it's mostly and also it's not like i'm looking for sharp photos i just think there is sometimes i see things in distance it would be nice to kind of capture so that's when you say this is not my eyes seeing this is some technology right yeah yeah and, and so you don't need the like high like speed cameras you kind of no. need the thing that's light that can get you the distance basically well i could use an aps-c lens from leica which they they have one long lens the problem with that is that the 24 megapixel becomes like 10 and so it just kind of degrades the quality quite a bit if you print it you can see it's not that great yeah That's why I'm loving the iPhone 120. Yeah, yeah, this is pretty good. I don't need to carry a long lens now. Anyway, that's what, that was the main reason I wanted a tele lens. It's not like primary requirement. Yeah, 50 is like my most 
comfortable focal length. I'm obsessing with the 90 right now because it's just I just love seeing the world in 90. It's like I have new pair of glasses. It's yeah. more like it. Do you have the L mount 90 or the M mount 90 or both? <laughs> I have a 90 F4 M mount. Yeah. yeah okay. I mostly use manual lenses. Yeah. I, like I said, like I'm a slow shooter and it's tiny, man. It's so tiny. Mm-hmm. And it's, yeah. I mean, I can put everything in, in a small bag and carry it, take it to go. I wish they made like a 180. Yeah. That would be nice. Yeah. Like a small 180. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I might buy a like R180. That could work. Yeah. They're light F4. And this is why I asked you when you were talking about film photography of the moment right now, everything's digital. And when it is like an M system, L mount alliance, all that kind of stuff. I do think that there are some amazing R series cameras as well as lenses that are currently still a little bit kind of under the radar. Not really. No, have they popped up already? They're already popped. I had a F2 180 like R lens. Mm-hmm. It is so heavy. Yeah, of course. It's all male stuff. And if you want it, I'm happy to sell it to you for the <laughs> price it's listed at. It is like new old stock. Nice. I have a 70 to 280, a 70 to 200 uh, like R lens. Very heavy, like as heavy as the 90 to 280. If you're a landscape photographer and you don't care about tele lenses, you buy a, like a 21 3.4 or a 28 Somicron, mm-hmm. a 50 Somicron, and a 90 Macro LMR. That's with your M11, you're good to go, man. You don't need anything else. Yeah. Or even with an SL, you don't need anything else. Those, I carry the 21, I've used it maybe twice. Yeah. I hate using wide-angle lenses. I'm surprised that I'm not hearing more companies other than Nikon using those phase Fresnel lenses because they have that 300 millimeter that weighs, I think, 1.1 kilos. And now they have a 600 millimeter that weighs 1.6 kilos, which is just ridiculously light. It's still lighter than my Leica. Yeah, that's ridiculously light for what you get out of that. And it's Maybe it's patents or something that is keeping others from using this kind of stuff. But it would be really great to see some of that lightweight technology come back into current lenses. My biggest gripe generally with the Sony, Nikon, Canon style stuff is at the end of the day, they've made these bodies smaller because they're now mirrorless. These lenses are still the same size. Yeah. So the actual package is the same size. Yeah. Yeah. And I think this is why I have a couple of friends who still use DSLRs and, and those images look great. Yeah, yeah. I have my DA10. I still love it to death. And, and whenever I, I need to do something quote unquote serious, it's 36 megapixels. That's enough. It, I have a ton of lenses on it. They're old. They're slow. Mm-hmm. It's all fine. They shoot great. Yeah. And there's a little bit too much of, especially in the last couple of years of, oh, we had such giant shifts in silicone. Like we have to like kind of. Yeah, follow that trend and have all of our cameras. I mean, like if you if you use an M11, right? That's 61 megapixel. You yeah. put a 90 millimeter lens on it, and you throw away two thirds of it, you yeah. still get a great image. Yeah. I mean, I just don't like the way it, how saturated it is. Yeah. Which tells me I should sell that damn thing. You've been saying that you were going to sell it, like for a year. Yeah, I know. I just like <laughs> I was saying that, and I was like, ah, I don't know, man. Like, I think my if. My next camera, if there is one, is probably going to be SL3 whenever they come out with it or a Hasselblad X2D. Oh, yeah. So wait, X2D. My favorite 
recent Hasselblad camera is the 907X, which is slow as all hell. Mm -hmm. But it is such a nice little package that if they were to bring out a 2, I would start considering it. Well, I think the 1 is good enough. You can get it pretty cheap. It's like too slow for me. Yeah. Because if I want to do slow, I'll just do analog. You know, this brick of a 503CX that I have. You can put that digital back on your 503. Exactly. Yeah. Why don't you just do that? Yeah. Yeah, no, I don't know. I'm not, I'm like not really, I'm not going anywhere this year. That's it. Like I'm done traveling. I think all my next few photo projects are going to be in San Francisco Bay Area. As long as I can either take public transport or Uber, that's it. I'm no interest in traveling to distance places to create new things. I think I'm like at that point already. By not doing that, I'm not pushing myself. You have to push yourself. Mm-hmm. to look around you to see what images you can make. I mean, it, it, you can, right? Like, I think it's essentially, these are tools and this is the location. How you can think about it is the key thing. If you're not thinking hard enough, you're thinking about the tools. Because the whole goal is to look at the world in a different way. Yeah. And that way it could be for a while, I think, and to go back to like kind of the social, like 2010, 11, 12, 13, 14, it's, oh, what is the most novel thing that I can put out there? But in a lot of ways, it can also be, hey, what, what's a consistent beat, you know, to bring it back to journalism? Like, what is my beat as a photographer that I am going to put into the world? Is it all photos of potholes? Is it all photos of angles with sunlight falling onto it? Is it all photos of, like, people walking, but it's literally just their legs from above the knee down and where they step, you know, like there is something as simple as deciding on a topic or deciding on what your beat is and then just going out and taking those photos. And I think that for me, like my current beat that I decided on is I hate that we're in the part of the, the year that the sun is going down earlier because I love me some sunlight, but that is giving me way more beautiful angles of sunlight in San Francisco. And so I will just go out and I'm just going to go see how the sun and the shadows come off of different things. And that's the whole, the yeah. sole reason why I walk around and why I'm doing a kind of a slower photography than I normally do when, you know, I love going to events. I love photographing people candidly if they're having fun or like a discussion or what their emotion is. And that's where like a cue has always been amazing. But in this case, it's like something that's way slower, way more deliberate and actually like makes me look around. I think, you know, you have to look really hard. Like, So I did like a, maybe three weeks ago or so, I just kind of, you know, September is like a pretty interesting time in San Francisco. Apart we from have, the fact that it's like actual summer. Yeah. And like, so you have like really amazing sunrises mm-hmm. and the colors are entirely different every day. Mm-hmm. Right. So I took photographs for 28 days out of 30 mm-hmm. every morning. Nice. And then I just kind of shared some online on my website. And I would get up every morning, come back from the gym, I'd make a coffee, look out, ah, that's a beautiful sky. Click. Same. Essentially 90 millimeter lens, same camera, every day the same, not edited. These are JPEG photos. Again, like an easy, lightweight way of kind of just like a minor project. It was just like, oh, that's a good theme. And I don't know if you saw, I shared some guy in London, Brighton, who does photographs of, you know, mundane, boring things and takes photographs of that every day and shares it. 
And I was like, Kim Aldrich is his name. And you retweeted that. And I was mm-hmm. like, that's such a great project. Like, just kind of find boring. That's what inspired, like, oh, this is like a beautiful sunrise. Like, I'm just looking at it. Let's just take a photograph, see yeah. what the gradients look like. Yeah. And then you do it for five days, six days, seven days. Oh, wow. This is what is different today. It must be the temperature. Oh. And then you start seeing things which you were not seeing. And I think it's just that. One of the things that has been really interesting to me as well is mm-hmm. that there's a lot more photography with diffusion filters happening in these last couple of years, which I don't know if, if Moment was one to kind of really put it on the radar, but like it is really interesting to see people actively adding imperfections to the images to reduce you know, the saturation, to reduce the focus. So, but again, this is also, they're just copying other people. They're not really, I think this is like Peter McKinnon effect, like that guy it's like good for nothing, really. Like he doesn't really have a creative narrative. He just is just like jumps from one thing to another. Mm-hmm. And so people just follow that. Oh, some company just made diffusion filters and they want to sell it. And they gave it to some influencers and they start talking about it. No one really understands like, why do you want this? What's your creative expression using these tools? And I think we are so driven by tools rather than by our inputs. Because everything is output oriented, because everybody else has said, this is like imperfect photos. Like, but why? If you wanted to make imperfect photos, don't buy the latest camera. Buy an X-Pro One. Yeah. Or use the iPhone. Forget the X-Pro One. You don't even need that. You know, the iPhone's good enough to make imperfect photos, but we don't think about those things. What's the process? Like, I mean, I could have done the one second project on my SF. It's like, I just figured out i have a ricoh gr3 it's easy to put in the pocket Mm -hmm. and just sit there you don't have to worry about getting mugged i want to ask you one final question and also first thank you for sitting with me here for over two hours and going through these two big topics you've kind of shared your desire for more optimism when it comes to technology and like this like kind of moment in time that we are in um it feels that there's potentially also a like optimism lens onto photography that we can throw here. And so my question to you is, what are you excited about when it comes to photography as a whole? As you, What are you excited about when it comes to your practice? My optimism around photography is I actually see every new tool, whether it's mid-journey or stable or dolly or whatever. They're just part of the learning process. We are seeing emergence of AI finally change Adobe, get them into action. They've been coasting for forever, basically ripping off people by just selling more expensive storage. Now they're actually making things which are different. Things are becoming easier. Tools are evolving. Things are evolving. But you know what's really the most important part? The reason for optimism for me is that all those things are going to become easier. Technology makes things a lot easier forever. Like, you know, some of us actually freaking typed on a typewriter, not fun. Mm-hmm. Writing on a computer, way easier. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, just five copies with the carbon paper and getting edited and rewriting. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Some of us have done it. Not that much fun. It sounds nice in theory. In photography, all these tools are great. But, you know, what is irreplaceable is the creative process. It's the input part of what we do. 
And every time you see a photographer freak out about AI, they're freaking out about how they're going to make money. That's a different kind of photographer. You and I are not making money from photography. For us, it's a creative process. And in a creative process, input always has to outweigh the output because the output is always defined by other people and how they value it instead of you. So if you are valuing the input and you use AI tools to define your output, you already have gotten the creative satisfaction of the process. Everything which comes out of it is not that important. So you have to change the equation of how you think and what you give value to. So that's what I'm excited about all these tools. There's things I can do. I've been trying to figure out how do I convert my photos, merge them into my still lifes and my landscapes and like my dioramas and can I create artificial dioramas and then merge them with my photos. I'm actually starting to think differently about what I can do with my creative process. Again, it's not determined by what other people think. It's like, how do I want to use my brain to create something, mm -hmm. right? I mean, it may not mean anything to anyone. It may mean something to someone, but it means everything to me. And that is why I use, when I say AI, I think of, always think of it as an augmented intelligence, augment my capabilities. There is, we are suddenly, all, everyone is using masking on Lightroom and Photoshop. It's like, dude, three years ago, it was virtually impossible to mask yeah, anything. Yeah. It yeah. just, uh, like it took 45 minutes to mask a little thing out. Yeah. To delete something from a photo, it just took forever. Like cloning took like, cloning a tiny bit in a photo used to take two hours. Now it doesn't. So I don't know if it's a bad thing or a good thing, but it helped me create what I want to create and I'm good for that. Amazing. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me. And for your thoughts. Um, this was great. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for listening. I really enjoyed these two parts of my conversation with Ohm, especially hearing his perspectives on tech and on photography. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you're looking for some other top episodes to check out, go to fullstackwhatever.com.